Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. It is uh, 4th of July weekend, 4th is tomorrow, and um, during the season I always like to stop and think about the heritage that we have in this country, the freedom that we have, the price that was paid for that freedom, and in particular I, I always like to, to go back and, and re- reflect on the uh, faith of our fathers. I, I realize that our founding fathers were not all Christians, but many, many of them were. Uh, many of them had extremely deep walks with Jesus Christ uh, and had excellent theology. And I want to remind you, uh, just to uh, give you a few illustrations of that this morning as we begin. Okay, the first quote here is from Charles Carroll. He was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, a delegate to the Constitutional Convention, framer of the Bill of Rights, and he was a U.S. senator. He said, On the mercy of my Redeemer I rely for salvation, and on his merits, not on the works that I have done in obedience to his precepts. That's pretty good theology, isn't it? Okay. I pulled a few uh, from folks maybe you didn't know quite as well. Gunning Bradford, he's a military officer, member of the Continental Congress, signer of the Constitution, and a federal judge. He said, To the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be ascribed all honor and dominion forevermore. Amen. Uh, all of the founders of the country were not deists. Uh, this man in particular obviously understood the Trinity quite well. John Witherspoon, signer of the Declaration of Independence, ratifier of the Constitution, and then a president of Princeton said, Christ Jesus, the promise of old made unto the fathers, the hope of Israel, the light of the world, and the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth, is the only savior of sinners in opposition to all false religions and every uninstituted right. As he himself says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I think they got it, don't you? Okay. That's pretty good theology. Uh, they were also men of, of deep, deep prayer lives. Most of these men from time to time called upon their constituents or upon the nation to join them in prayer on behalf of the nation. They were very humble men. They recognized that God's blessings had come to us because of God. And they wanted to continually remind us that we need to depend upon God for his continuous blessings. I'm going to give you a quote here from Elias Boudinot. He was president of Congress. He signed the peace treaty that ended the American Revolution. He was the first attorney admitted to the U.S. Supreme Court, a framer of the Bill of Rights, and he was later the director of the U.S. Mint. He said this, Let us enter on this important business under the idea that we are Christians on whom the eyes of the world are now turned. Let us earnestly call and beseech him for Christ's sake to preside in our councils. We can only depend on the all-powerful influence of the Spirit of God, whose divine aid and assistance it becomes us, as a Christian people most devoutly to implore. Therefore I move that some minister of the gospel be requested to attend this Congress every morning in order to open the meeting with prayer. Probably wouldn't hear that today, but we should remind ourselves that that's where our nation began. Not being founded as a Christian nation, but being founded by men who certainly, many of them were Christians and they had Christian values. And as a result, these men were, were deep, deep men of prayer. As they entered into the business of the nation, they stopped to pray, to depend upon God in prayer. Now this summer, we are going through our essential series. And uh, I wrote the first draft of that essential series. And when I wrote it, I was working with a group of people who were already pretty far down the, lo- the road with uh, their relationships with the Lord, and they, they mostly needed some grounding in theology 
and some basic Christian practices that they could pass on. But I, I skipped over a, a few things that are kind of obvious, like prayer. If you notice in our essentials packet, there's not a lesson on prayer. Uh, someday that will be remedied. We'll go back and put a lesson on prayer. Uh, I'm going to start that this morning. I want to talk about prayer. Okay? So we're going to learn from Jesus. We're going to learn from the Master. When he was on earth, he had a lot of followers, but 12 primary followers, the disciples. They were with him everywhere. They watched him preach, they watched him teach, they watched him do miracles, but it's interesting. Of all the preaching that they heard and the teaching that they heard and the miracles that they saw, they never said, Jesus, teach us how to heal or teach us how to preach. They did say, Jesus, teach us how to pray, which you think about is really remarkable because these are young men who grew up all around prayer. Prayer was everywhere around them, at the, the breakfast table, the lunch table, the dinner table, their family was offering prayer. Every Sabbath, there were Sabbath prayers. When they had an opportunity to go to the temple, they would hear prayers offered by the priests and the Levites. They would hear wonderful prayers given during the festivals, during uh, Day of Atonement and Tabernacles and the Passover. Uh, when they went to school, their, their education was, was moral and theological in its undergirding. They learned prayer at school. So everywhere around them, there was prayer. They, they heard it their entire lives. And then when they were with Jesus, they heard him pray and they said, we don't know anything about prayer, right? So Jesus, the way you pray and what you say, it's so different from anything that we've been exposed to our entire lives. Would you please just teach us how to pray? Well, the only other thing they asked was, uh, who can be the greatest, right? They said, I want to be, can I be greatest? Oh, and would you teach me how to pray? They didn't really see the contradiction there, but they said, please, Lord, teach us to pray. So what is prayer? Get us on the same page. Uh, I'm going to give you my definition, simple definition. You may be able to come up with a a better one, but this is where we're going to start for the morning. Prayer is this, three things. It is communion with the Father through the mediation of the Son and the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is communion with the Father. When we pray, we pray to God. It is a personal relationship with God the Father. A time ago, years ago, there was a little boy and he was praying in a public setting and he, he offered his prayer and it was pretty rough, it was pretty crude, it wasn't uh, very polished and an older gentleman took him aside and began to correct his grammar and the little boy said, ah, excuse me sir, but I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> That's right on point. He wasn't talking to that man. He was talking to the Father. That is what prayer is. And it's not just communication, it's communion. It is intimacy of relationship. Through the mediation of the Son, we go boldly into the presence of God our Father, not on our own merits, but because of Jesus Christ. And for all of eternity, we will be able to rush into the presence of God, not because we deserve to be there, but because Jesus Christ stands as our advocate. Jesus Christ stands there in spite of the fact that Satan may be hurling accusations against us. And Jesus says, accept this one on my behalf. And the Father says, yes, I will accept that one on your behalf. Because he is in you, son, he can be with me. In the Old Testament, they came through the mediation of the priests who brought the blood of bulls and goats. Now we go through the mediation of our one high priest, Jesus Christ, and his own blood, which never grows old. The sacrifice is always fresh. It is always applicable for us. 
the blood of Christ. So, communion with the Father through the mediation of the Son and the assistance of the Holy Spirit, we are not on our own when we pray. Really, we don't even know how to pray. We don't, we don't really have much of a clue as to what it's like in the presence of God. And so it is the Spirit who is working with us and praying on our behalf. Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us this beautiful text. He says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We don't know what to say, but the Spirit loves us. And so the Spirit prays with us and for us even as the Son is making intercession and is our intermediary. So we are not alone as we pray to the Father. This is prayer. It's communion with God. It's an amazing thing that is finite, sinful creatures. We have the privilege to enter into the very presence of God. That is prayer. So how do we do it? Uh, What's it supposed to look like? Well, it's interesting. Um, We assume it should be easy. But it's not. Just as children are not born knowing how to speak, we're not born knowing how to pray. You know, our, our kids come out uh, of their mothers, they come into the world, and uh, they can't even make articulate sounds. They just scream and they try to get their point across. Um, we learn to interpret, and then pretty soon they make a syllable or two. They say ma or da, which, you know, it just warms our hearts. We're like, oh, they're saying mommy, daddy. Actually, they're not. Those are like the most simple syllables to make. But we th- want to flatter ourselves. Oh, they're saying my name. No, they're just making a sound, right? But it gets more articulate. And pretty soon, we can understand what they're saying. They're, they're putting uh, entire thoughts together. Our son uh, used to say, uh, me no like. And he'd say, me no like. And, and we knew just what he meant. It was bad grammar, but we got it. Me no like. He doesn't say that anymore. He's very articulate. Now he can ho- hold a conversation with us. He can hold a conversation with his sister. They're both very articulate. Now, we wouldn't want him to stay at the stage of saying, me no like. He wouldn't do well in college. So, you know, you got to move on. You got to progress. Well, it's the same thing with our prayers. We start out saying, just crying out, calling, making these inarticulate sounds, and the Spirit's helping translate what we really mean and what we really need. Because God doesn't want us to stay inarticulate. He wants us to grow and progress. And how do we do so? Well, Jesus instructs us and then we practice. And some of us forget that. We think prayer should just, in a sense, come automatically. But we grow in prayer. If you have ever known a a truly godly saint who's further down the road, who's been walking with the Lord for decades, 70 or 80 years old, and you listen to that person pray, have you ever noticed, wow, that, that really is different from the way that I pray. I think that's what the disciples experienced when they heard Jesus pray. They just stopped and said, wow, I I don't think I even know how to communicate with God. So this morning what I want to do is I want us to just uh, maybe take a few steps forward in prayer. End of the summer, I want to wrap up our whole series and I'm going to talk about uh, spiritual disciplines, other ways that we move into the presence of God and have him change us. This morning I want to focus just on prayer. And I want to start with a couple things. First, uh, the things we shouldn't do in prayer. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus said to his disciples, When you pray, 
When you pray, that assumes that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you talk to God. Not if you pray, but when you pray. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Jesus doesn't assume that they're going to pray well. In fact, he assumes you're probably not going to pray too well because the models that you have in your culture don't communicate well with me. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. First, Jesus says, when you pray, don't fake it. Don't be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is one who is duplicitous. What you see on the outside is not the same as what's going on on the inside. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Is it possible to actually be praying and be sinning at the same time? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's possible to be going through this... uh, entirely spiritual exercise, or at least what appears to be a spiritual exercise, but be completely disconnected with God. When you pray, don't pray this way. Don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. They're standing on the street corners. They're finding the most prominent place to pray. They're praying to show praying so that others will observe them. Others will reward them. They're praying for the benefit of others. They have their reward in full. The reward is not intimacy with the God. That's not what they're going after. They're going after the praise of men. Similarly, he says about uh, giving financially as an act of worship to the Lord. Chapter 2, he says, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. When they give or when they pray or when they fast, they're doing it all for show. When it's time to give, they go, here I am with my big offering. Anybody notice? It's not for the Lord. It's not an act of worship. It's for the praise of men. He says, don't do that. Don't fake it. Because God searches down into the very depths of your heart. He knows all that you are actually thinking and feeling and every motivation that is driving you. So why bother to pretend? Greatest illustration of this, I'm going to keep your place here in Matthew chapter 6. Turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. One of my favorite parables that Jesus told. Matthew chapter 18, verse 9. It says, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was thus praying to himself, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I, I, I love that story just because, you know, I just think his listeners must have just laughed. And he said, the guy stood up on the street corner and he, he begins to pray there in the temple or whatever. And who's he praying to? It says he's praying this way to himself which is exactly the opposite of the purpose of prayer. He's not praying to God, he's praying to himself. And he looks around and he says, I thank you I'm not like him or him or her. <laughs> I just think that's funny. You know, I think that Jesus must have really gotten a little bit of a chuckle out of uh, those who are not self-righteous. The self-righteous must have gone, Urgh. Jesus says, don't pray this way. Don't pray this way. Because God searches to the depths of your heart. So why bother to fake it. When you pray, don't do it this way. Don't pretend. Second, don't disrespect your father. Look back in chapter 6, verse 7. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he enters in to what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is really a disciple's prayer. It says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Which is so ironic because that's exactly the way that we use it is how he told us not to use it. He says, don't use meaningless repetition. Which is usually how this prayer is in fact used. The word uh, batalageo, that meaningless repetition means to speak without thinking. So don't pray and have your mind disengaged. Now, It's ironic, given the fact that I'm doing uh, this sermon this morning, but last night as we were sitting with our kids, which we do every night, and we pray before they go to sleep, it was about 8 o'clock, we were sitting in Anna Joy's room, and uh, we share, we rotate who goes first, and I think uh, Anna Joy went first, and she prayed, and then Ben prayed, and then Mommy prayed, and then uh, it was silent for a minute, and they all said, Daddy, are you going to pray? I said, what? What? <laughs> yeah, I fell asleep. Um, he's saying, don't do that. When you pray, stay engaged. You know, I can empathize with the disciples when Jesus went into the garden and they were absolutely exhausted from the day, physically in the stress. And he says he's going to be crucified. And Jesus says, stay here. Just sit right here and keep watch and pray. And, and it's dark outside and they're sitting down. Man, if it's after eight o'clock and I'm sitting down, I, I sympathize with him. I can't help. I, man, I'd be out. I would pa- I'd just pass out. Jesus says, don't pray this way. When you pray, stay engaged. So for me, it means I probably need to just keep like walking around the kids' room while they're praying so I can stay awake. Stay mentally engaged because this is a personal relationship with the Lord. See, they had a low view of their gods. The pagans did around them. He says, don't pray like the pagans. Because the way that you pray reflects your concept of God. Their gods were just like people. Sometimes they were tired and they were asleep, so you needed to pray loud and you could wake them up. Or sometimes they'd go on vacation. You needed to make sure you just kept praying and praying and praying and praying so that you could catch them when they walked in the door. You don't want to miss them. And so you'd use this repetition over and over and over and over again. Catch the God while he's paying attention and maybe your prayer will slip through and he'll answer and respond positively. He says, don't pray like that. Your father knows what you need even before you ask him and he's always on alert. Don't pray that way. 
It's a personal relationship. This would not work with someone we love. It wouldn't work with your spouse. If I came home from work and I said, Tristy, what's to eat tonight? What's to eat tonight? What's to eat? What's to eat? What's to eat? What's to eat? I'm kind of hungry. What's to eat? What's to eat? What'd you make tonight? I'm hungry. What's to eat? What's to eat? What's to eat? Honey, I want to eat. I want to eat. What do you make? 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 You know, I mean, it wouldn't be very intimate, would it? She wouldn't really appreciate the fact that I didn't have anything else to say to her other than what's to eat. What's to eat? What's to eat? What's to eat? What's to eat? You know, I mean, it just wouldn't, I don't think it'd work, right? I remember when I was in high school, we would pray before our soccer games and we'd rotate who would lead the prayer. And what we did is we did the Lord's Prayer and this is how it went. Okay, let's gather around and pray before the game. Okay, Mark, you're going to get it started. All right, our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Get us there. Failure, daily bread is, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive others. At least not in possession. Deliver us even from the kingdom. And go, all right, let's win. Yeah. And we run out. Hey, that's how we prayed. Right? So one time the coach asked me, he said, Brian, would you lead us in prayer? And, you know, I was a zealous uh, senior in high school. I'm really just kind of starting to walk with the Lord. And I said, yeah, but, you know, coach, I can't do it like this because I was just reading the Lord's Prayer. And it says, don't use meaningless repetition. So I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Is that okay? And he goes, Whatever. <laughs> okay, just do your thing. So I started out and I said, Jesus. All my friends, their heads come up. Like, what, what is he doing? It's our father. I go, Jesus, pray that you'd keep us safe, that no one would get injured. I pray that we would do our best, that we'd perform well, and in the end, we'd give honor and glory to you through this game. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let's go play. <laughs> just, you know, it didn't, didn't really rally the troops, but, you know, I'm being genuine. I'm being sincere here. Before the game. He says, don't pray meaningless prayers. That's disrespectful to the Father. You're not understanding his nature and the nature of prayer, which is intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. Don't pray this way. There's a better way for you to pray. It says, pray like this. Back in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father who sees all things and nothing can be hidden says pray sincerely. The opposite of hypocrisy is sincerity. Pray genuinely. Remember the Latin word sincere means without wax. Right? Remember that, that imagery? Uh, unscrupulous vendors would bring their clay pots that had been broken They'd reform them, they'd seal them with wax, they'd fix the cracks, and then they put a glaze over top. The only way that you would know that it had been broken is if you held it up to the sun. The Greek word for sincere means judged by the sun. Right? Because if you put hot water in it, or hot liquid, immediately the wax would melt and the pot would fall apart. That's insincere. There's no integrity in the vessel. It says pray unhypocritically, not duplicitously, Pray with sincerity, be genuine, because your Father knows all things. He is the one who is in secret, and he sees all things in secret. He sees down to the very depths of your being. 
Frederick Buchner wrote a wonderful little book a few years ago. It's called Telling the Truth. And it's really a short autobiography. And Frederick Buchner had a really difficult upbringing. And he waited till his, his parents had passed away before he published it because it was a really difficult book to write. Uh, but he said he really needed to write it for his own sake if no one else ever bought the book. Because what happens, he had observed, is, uh, and I think most of us do this, we, we put in front of the world kind of a, an edited version of who we are to greater or lesser degree. This is what I want you to see about me, and I don't want you to see the other, so this is the version you're going to get. And it's edited. And the problem becomes with us that the more we present the edited version, the more we begin to believe the edited version, and that's all that there is. And so he makes the argument that once in a while, you need to just tell the truth, even if you're just telling it to yourself and to the Lord, so that you don't begin to believe the edited version. Because God sees through the edited version and he knows the truth. And so prayer needs to be, first and foremost, genuinely honest with the Lord. We come boldly into the presence of God because Jesus Christ stands as our advocate and he paid for all sin and all failure and all weakness. We could trust him. Second, pray in humility. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by men. They pray out of their pride, not out of their humility. Turn back with me again to this parable in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Again, Jesus says, the Pharisee stood and he was praying this way to himself. The posture of his body reflected the attitude of his heart. And what is he doing? He's standing He's standing and he's praying this way to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And one of the things that you will observe throughout the Bible is uh, posture of the body reflects the attitude of the heart. Uh, you know, and I used to believe that this was just a cultural thing when we're exhorted to do different things with our body and worship, uh, but I've learned personally through the years that it's, it's a little bit more than that. Um, posture of our body reflects sometimes the attitude of our heart. Sometimes the posture of our body can, can direct the attitude of our hearts. When we're feeling proud and we're standing and we're praying, and we kind of, all right, I get down. It's kind of humbling. It's kind of humbling me for me right now. You know, you can just get down a little like that. Change the posture of your body. Lay flat on the ground. You may not feel comfortable doing it. Not a lot of room here between the uh, pews, so it might not work. I'm not telling you to get out in the aisles. Just saying from time to time when you are alone and praying in secret with the Lord, try the experiment. Get down on the ground. Get down low. See how it directs and maybe changes the attitude of your heart. Those who are proud stand in front of the Lord and they're looking around and they're saying, who's watching me pray? And they receive the reward in full. 
But the humble heart gets down low. And maybe it's not a movement of your body. Um, Maybe it's too hard to get down and get back up right now for you. That's okay. So don't do it. But reflect it in your heart. Is there humility? You know, the only way that we can come boldly into the presence of God is because of Jesus Christ. You may have had a great week of quiet times. That's not what gets you in, right? You may be relatively more moral this week than you were last week. That's not what gets you access to the Father. What is it that gives you access? It is the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have access only because of Jesus Christ. For all of eternity, men and women, we will only have access to the Father because of Jesus Christ. He gets us in. He and he alone gets us in. Beautiful passage here, Hebrews chapter 7. It says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hey, this is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was hanging there as a payment for the penalty of our sins. Every sin, even the ones we keep hidden, that stay out of the edited version, Jesus paid for all of those sins. The moment that we believe that debt is removed forever and we have eternal life, that is life that will last forever, we have a quality of life that begins even now, which gives us access to the Father at any point in time because we have Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father saying, yes, I'm well aware of that sin that Satan is accusing this child of, but that one belongs to me. Brian belongs to me. So he can come in. He's pleading my case. He's my advocate. He's my intercessor. And so I come on his behalf. But I should always come in humility because I don't come on my own merits and I never will. Praise God. So I can come freely and boldly always at all times. Pray sincerely. Pray humbly. Pray secretly. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. When you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now this is not to rule out praying in public or praying with friends. But it's saying the essence of our prayer life is person to person, created to creator. And so the bulk of our prayer life, our most passionate and intimate prayer life, needs to be alone and with the father. Now why do we do it? Let me give you just a few ideas. And at the end of the summer I'll probably come back and talk a little bit more about this. But let me give you three thoughts. First, turn with me to James, book of James. Back toward the end of the New Testament, James chapter 5, verse 16. James 5, 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He really was no different. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Wow, that, you know, if you stop and think about that for a minute, that's a really amazing passage. It says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It actually does stuff. But isn't God sovereign? Isn't he in control of all things? Yes, he is. And in his sovereign realm, he says, here's how I want to get things done. I want to get things done when my people pray. What an incredible privilege. 
And I have, in my lifetime, literally seen God give answers to prayer, specific things that I pray for, and given specific answers. Even at times, I have seen people healed of physical illness, and doctors walk in the room and say, I don't know how this happened. One of their favorite words is, somehow. (laughs) I've heard some say who are Christians, it's a miracle. A tumor that was there yesterday is gone. It hasn't happened every time I have prayed for these things, but I have seen it happen sometimes. God's not obligated to cause it to happen every time, but he does do it sometimes, and he can. All for his best. All for his perfect will and what he's trying to accomplish, which is beyond what I see. But he says, here's how I involve you in this incredible plan that I'm working out through the world to draw every man and every woman and every child to myself. I want you to pray. Yes, I'm sovereign, but you engage in my sovereign will when you pray, when you share the gospel, when you engage in these things that are happening in the spiritual realm that you cannot see. Prayer accomplishes much. Second, prayer is rewarded. One last time, turn with me back to uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. He says, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Eight times in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about reward. Is it mercenary to seek God for reward? No, not when it's the appropriate kind of reward. Eight times he says, this is what's rewarded and this is not what is rewarded. Because God is is a heavenly father and he loves to give good gifts to his children. And heavenly fathers who love to give good gifts love to reward. When we listen to them and in genuine and sincere hearts we follow and obey, God pours out not just answer but reward. It may not be the specific answer that we want, but it may be peace, contentment. Joy or, or a better answer than even than the one that we ask because we don't know best. Look at chapter 7, verse 7. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? He will, and he will give what is best. May not be what we think is best, but he loves to give good gifts. Third, prayer changes us. We become like those that we spend time with. We spend time with God in prayer. It changes us. It transforms our character. How do we apply this? Okay, on, on this uh, whole series, I want, it, I want to be able to walk away and have something tangible, practical that you can do or do differently. Um, so I want to encourage you for this next week, spend time in prayer every day with God. No, I don't think that's legalism. Spend time in prayer every day with God this week. Maybe it's just five minutes that you got. Maybe it's a little bit longer. Try something new in prayer. Try walking and praying. Um, make a three-by-five card and write out several requests. Stick it in your pocket. Tape it on the dash of your car. Somewhere that it's going to remind you to pray every day. Uh, maybe write out uh, acts. I frequently use that when I, I'm just 
not knowing what to pray about. I write down ACTS, you know, adoration, praising God for who he is. Maybe write down one attribute. Confession, God search my heart, examine me every day. Thanksgiving, God, what am I thankful for? Supplication, what requests do I need to make for myself or someone else? Okay, just something different. Pray every day this week. Keep the card in your pocket. Post it on the mirror in your bathroom or on the dash of your car. Something that stimulates you to be reminded every day to enter into and engage in that communion with God. Uh, I personally, uh, I have a couple of prayer requests for you. Personally for us, our family. Um, we, we're leaving on vacation. And one of the things I've learned about vacation is I have these great grandiose ideas about all that it's going to do for me to make me feel refreshed, right? And um, one of the things I've learned is that the change of scenery and the change of activities don't necessarily refresh me. But when I can get away and actually have some time just to listen to the Lord for myself, I always come back refreshed. Because for me, I, I have, there's an occupational hazard that I face. Every time I open my Bible, it's easy for me to, to open the Bible and think about what I want to say to you. Okay, And when I do that over and over and over again, week after week after week after week, it makes my own relationship with the Lord really dry. And so what I need on this vacation is to be able to stop doing that mentally and just flip it open and say, God, what do you have to say to me? Okay, So that would be um, my prayer request. That I would ask that you would do that for us while we are gone on our vacation. Then when uh, we get back, Blake and I have two weeks set aside to begin to think and pray and plan for our series in the fall, which is Romans. We're going to teach Romans. And I would ask you to begin to pray for us to see Romans with fresh eyes, that we would see at that point, what is it that God wants to teach to our congregation from this book, which is just, you know, it's one of the greatest uh, theological treatises in, in the entire Bible. So I would ask you to begin to pray for that. You know, that that we really humble ourselves and depend upon God and say, God, you need to speak to us through this, this word. We need to hear from you. We don't need the words of men. We don't need the words of Brian or Blake. We need to hear your word. And I would ask you to join me right now in, in, in humility, humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, speak. Okay. So I, I would just appreciate prayer, if you would, for us over the next month. We have a couple weeks of vacation and some time in Romans. Uh, and I'm just expressing to you how deeply... Uh, I and my family need your prayer. That would be my request. Okay. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that you would draw us much deeper into our relationship with you. I pray that we would not be satisfied with where we are. I pray that wherever we are in our communication with you, whether we are just beginning to make inarticulate sounds or we're stringing syllables together or maybe... For some, they've been walking with the Lord a long time, that you would draw us deeper still. And I pray, Father, that we would sense your favor and your reward in this. Father, I thank you for the unparalleled privilege that it is for creatures like us, broken and sinful, to be able to come at any moment with boldness into your presence. I pray that we would not take that lightly. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.